politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here in Pahrump, Nevada. It is Monday, a new month, November 1st for you guys. It is, gosh, I think still Halloween night for me because... I have been delayed all day, like so many of you on your flight. I feel bad for those of you who came late, like I did to our front site trip, but we're still looking forward to a fun few days here out in the Nevada desert, constitution and handgun defense training. I Yes, I am making you guys jealous for uh, not attending. Uh, despite the insanity of the traveling, it still is worth it. Um, again, constitutioncoach.com. Check out their trip for the end of November, early December, assuming the world doesn't come to an end by then. 90% off the typical front sight training. It is truly, truly terrific. You learn how to clear malfunctions, shoot from the holster, have great camaraderie with patriots throughout the country as well as members of this audience. You get to learn the Constitution from my buddy Rick Green of Patriot Academy. So really looking forward to a couple days of planning some of our Constitution Action teams. We have a couple of team leaders here as well. So hope to be seeing you at some of our later events. For those of you who I did not get a chance to meet uh, this week, but Man, it's getting bad. It is getting really, really bad out there. Um, traveling all day with a diaper on my face. I never could have imagined that the next trip I'd make out here, we'd still be doing that. Are we finally coming to a head? Well, Wednesday is the day when there will be a national strike. Who knows what's going to happen? And look, I'm willing to stay here an extra few days if I get stranded. So who knows? And I do apologize for the quality of the audio. Um, but you will have most of today's show is going to be a pre-record with uh, Dr. Hyder, Dr. Syed Hyder. Terrific show about a man who saved thousands of people from this virus. We could have saved hundreds of thousands of people had we had more people like him. And uh, by the way... Harvey Risch, you know, he's the Yale professor, epidemiologist. He somehow collated from all these guys that gave early therapies, about 150,000 treated. There were just 24 deaths. That's a 0.016% death rate, um, a one one-hundredth of the case fatality rate in general. So again, for every 100 people who died, likely 99 of them could have been saved had everyone acted in accordance with the protocols of these doctors. So again, those of you who want to go to 7cells.com, avail yourselves of ivermectin and nitazoxanide. It is available. Uh, go there, promo code Daniel. Um, wanted to start out today, before we get to this recorded interview, I just wanted to go over one of the many things that ha- occurred over the weekend and that is the main religious liberty case was turned down by the Supreme Court. I don't take pride in this. I really don't. But I wrote a whole book warning people that Republican-appointed judges are not going to make a difference 
I warned you about Kavanaugh. Barrett, I held my tongue, but deep down had reservations. And it turns out Kavanaugh and Barrett are walking in the footsteps of John Roberts. We have a six to three liberal majority. Remember, we had lawyers on the show saying, yeah, they're not going to bite at the underlying argument against um, you know, COVID mandates on our personal bodily autonomy. But at least you could say you have a religious liberty exemption. If there was a case that the Supreme Court would have taken, it would, would have been the main case. It was healthcare workers, and that state completely took away the religious exemption. Meaning other states have it and they play games and barely offer it. But there they officially got rid of it. It's against all the case law, including the Fulton case from Philadelphia just last term. But all we had was Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito. So as I warned you, when you have all of these governors and attorneys general now, oh, we're going to file a lawsuit against the Biden administration. Yeah, right. That's meaningless. Nothing substitutes solid legislative action. Nothing. I want to make that very clear. So, you know, when you have your state legislator, your governor say, oh, I'm going to file a lawsuit. That's nonsense. You need to nullify Biden's nullification. You need to vitiate his destruction and abrogation of not just constitutional rights, but human rights embedded in the Nuremberg Code. That is clear. That is clear. And over the weekend, we had just one state, one state so far, has done what they should. Good news, Tennessee legislature has pretty much a full prohibition on vaccine mandates by the private sector, unless they're federal contractors. They did make an exemption there. Um... In addition to that, we also have a complete ban on mask mandates. Now, originally the House version in Tennessee did have a ban even on so-called private sector mandates. Unfortunately, the Senate has a bunch of Rockefeller Republicans there in Tennessee. They did water it down. Um, But at least they went after local county school boards, county governments. So a lot of good things in their cause of action. Another important point in the Tennessee bill, and it had nothing to do with COVID, but this is something we need to pass in every state, and that is the following. Subjecting all people who run for school boards to partisan races. Part of the problem we have in red states, as bad as Republicans are, and believe me, they are pretty bad. They are definitely pretty bad. What's worse is when you could have a Democrat run in a 70-30-80-20 Trump county, but it's officially nonpartisan, so it's a snake in the grass. Here you force them to at least run on a partisan ballot, so I think that is an important thing we should push in every state. So Tennessee is solid, but other states, we can't get it. This is the only state where the legislature has convened and has banned vaccine mandates completely. Florida. Imagine having a governor like Ron DeSantis, and the Florida Republicans are like, screw that, I'll side with Biden. They're like, it's a non-starter. 
Oh, they don't like putting mandates on the private sector. Yeah, this is all private. Wyoming did the same thing. Wyoming voted down a bill that would have subjected insurance companies to a requirement that they not discriminate against those that didn't get the clot shots. Now, let me tell you this. If you are going to tell me, pursuant to Obamacare, guaranteed issue, community rating, that basically you have to cover people that have 100 times more risk than the average person for the same price, then you better believe we're going to subject you to the same coverage mandate to those that didn't get the shot when now, pursuant to the data we actually have, they're actually less likely to get COVID than those who got the shots. Okay, if you want to abolish Obamacare, then we could talk about not having coverage mandates and anti-discrimination in insurance law. But until then, yes, you better believe we are going to apply anti-discrimination law to where it is needed the most, and at the time, it's needed the most. But again, we barely have any states willing to take up the mantle. This is the problem now. I want to make this clear. I want to make this clear. There is nowhere to run and nowhere to hide from what is going on at the federal level. It has become abundantly clear that I was right, that you can't come crying to the courts. The courts are not going to do anything. The courts are horrible. State legislatures need to nullify, nullify, and they need to get together and do it together. All 25 Republican states need to do this together. So that way they can't be isolated. It will have much more power. Trump should unify that message. And he should also inveigh against the premise of even voluntarily vaccinating your children. It's so, it's so dangerous. You know, a lot of people are very into you know, uh, the whole thing with Brandon. Okay, the whole meme about that or the meme with Trump doing the chop at the Braves World Series game. And I get it. Trump is very good with these quasi cultural symbols. But that's all they are if you don't fight the policies that matter in the way they matter when they matter. Otherwise, you're literally left with just symbolism. You're left with an icing without a cake. You're left with a harmony without a melody. You're, you're left with just noise. If Trump sits and promotes the clot shots and is not there for us when we need him on the issues, on the bills, and the legislatures, on the primaries, but he does the chop at the Atlanta Braves game, what good does that do us? What good does that do us? Now, today's show is sponsored by our friends at ExpressVPN. Folks, how did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is, <laughs> there aren't many choices. ISPs operate like the monopolies in every area of our economy. They use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers, data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on and on. But worst of all, they monitor your internet activity. They sell it to the big tech companies so they could pay for the rope to hang ourselves. Now, to prevent them from doing this, that's why I use ExpressVPN to protect all my devices, including my travel laptop that I'm on now, 
So what is ExpressVPN? It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that basically puts a mask on your VPN. It, it gives you a secure VPN server um, where big tech can't monitor what you're doing. They can't look at your messages. They can't sell your data. That's why I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to use an effective mask, one for your computer. Um, you know, again, I don't like putting new things on my computer, and it always gives me the runaround, but this was simple. It was literally, boom, one click of the button, done. It's always there. And I can't believe that I waited till this year to start doing it. You should not wait. Shame on you if you're allowing these guys to buy and sell all of your information, spy on you. Um, this is one of the few action items that's so easy to do. So again, stop handing your data over to big tech. Use the VPN server that I trust, the secure server. Protect yourself with expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash conservative to get an extra three months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash conservative right now. Never allow big tech to spy on you ever again. So again, when we're talking about this nullification, I want to make it very clear. Everyone's like, Daniel, the supremacy clause. Pursuance thereof. In pursuant of the Constitution. That's what it is supreme. If the federal government promulgates a law in pursuance of the Constitution. Hamilton, the biggest advocate of a robust federal government, said at the time, Federalist 33, it will not follow from this doctrine that acts of the large society which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers, but which are invasions of the residuary authorities of the smaller societies will become the supreme law of the land. No, these will be merely acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. Okay, it's that simple. As I've said all the time, this is why our founders, Madison at the forefront, never really wanted a Bill of Rights because he was concerned about Amy Barrett and, and Kavanaugh. They'd be like, I don't see where it says you have the right to bodily autonomy, to breathe and not have hemlock put in your body in the Constitution. And it's like, what are you talking about? The things they put in the Constitution, like right to bear arms and whatever, are things that it's not – quite obvious it's not like the right to breathe which is obvious but his concern was once you start enumerating it then you'll have problems but that's why he had the ninth amendment okay the ninth amendment made it very clear that the powers not expressly delegated to the federal government are not there. So it's not a question of, oh, Daniel, do, do you have a constitutional right to bodily autonomy? No. It's does the federal government have a right to force something into your body? No. It's the other way around. In the legal tender cases, the Supreme Court, 1870, Justice, uh, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Field made this point about the Ninth Amendment. That the initial rejection of the Bill of Rights was upon the ground that such a bill would contain various exceptions to the powers not granted and on this very account would afford a pretext for asserting more than what, what was granted. In other words, rather than looking at the Constitution, wait a minute, 
there's enumerated rights, not rights, enumerated powers, Article 1, Section you know, 7, and whatever is not in there, you can't do. Instead, they'll look at the Bill of Rights. Oh, these are the people's rights. What's ever not in there, the government can do. This is the problem with the, with the courts now. But the reality is Madison meant for the Ninth Amendment to speak to that. It was June 8th, 1789, Madison, um, you know, when he gave the list of amendments to the House of Representatives, and it wasn't in the current structure that was ultimately adopted, but he made it clear that he was guarding against this dangerous notion that enumerating your rights would expand the federal power and he said this guard would be in the last clause of the fourth resolution. Now, we don't have it in our structure, but the last clause of the fourth resolution ultimately became the Ninth Amendment. The enumeration, the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. But unfortunately, those rights will not be safeguarded by the courts. So they have to be safeguarded by the legislature. The next two months, two to three months, between the special sessions, the redistricting, and then the regular sessions beginning in January and February, this is it. This is going to determine whether we have a few states to live free. Otherwise, we are utterly screwed. Now, the other big thing I'm working on I do feel bad that this is a very pivotal week, and I am going to be a little bit slow out here in in the desert uh, training with all y'all. This is a lot of fun, but I do want to say I'm working on language to shop around to some of these doctors like Ryan Cole, Peter McCullough, where they could create a website to have a pledge to disown Pfizer. Every candidate we're going to shop it to the Freedom Caucus. We're going to shop it to gubernatorial candidates, some existing governors, that they will not take any money, state legislatures, from Pfizer. And again, it's not just swearing off $2,500, which isn't a big deal for most of them. It's the language of this pledge will make it very clear that Pfizer has violated the Nuremberg Code, Period by shoving their poison on children. The good news about that is that no fake Republican could sign such a thing. This is going to vet them out. So this is another big project of mine that we're working on, the dump Pfizer pledge. Maybe you could say F Pfizer if you want to get a little bit saltier there. Um, but I do want to get to our special guest before we uh, you know, blow the clock here. There's so much news on the science of, of the shots and everything that we'll get to hopefully tomorrow, Wednesday, I'm out. Um, but, but our guest segment uh, with Dr. Saeed uh, Haider is sponsored by Birch Gold. Look, with inflation running hot like crazy, the best hedge against it is, is investing in gold. They're coming up with another massive spending bill, $3.5 trillion on top of the trillions they spent already. Money is like monopoly. Um, it's, it's meaningless at this point. Diversify your savings into physical gold and silver with Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold Group is the company I recommend for precious metals. I know there's a lot to look at. 
Um, but they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of satisfied customers, and they can help you protect your hard-earned savings right now. Thanks to a little-known section of the IRS tax code, you could legally move your IRA or 401k into precious metals, which I plan on doing, by the way, because I put a lot at the end of the tax year into my IRAs because I just don't want the feds getting a hold of it. So to get started on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account, request a free info kit from Birch Gold by texting the word DANIEL to 989898. Um, you'll get a comprehensive 20-page kit that reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings. There's zero cost, zero obligation. Just get info. You Educate yourself. Read it carefully. Text Daniel to the number 989898. Again, request a free kit for investing in gold now by texting Daniel to 989898. Now, over the past year or so, We've done something different than we've ever done. We've done a lot of medical shows. We've had tons of doctors on talking about whole health, talking about specific uh, protocols and strategies in dealing with this virus. And the reason why I've done so many shows on this is because, again, we talk about the Constitution, life, liberty, and property. That's really how our show began. And the first thing is life. You got to live. And we, when we have a corrupt medical biostate and a corrupt government, uh, big pharma cabal that foists upon us things that don't work and blocks things that do work, and we have an ongoing bioweapon type of virus like this, and it doesn't mean it's going to take down everyone, but it potentially is problematic for a lot of people. Well, we got to have a way of dealing with this. And I brought to you a lot of interesting names, and I always look to find people that have an interesting story and have um, good advice to give over, good success to share. And Twitter is such a horrible place these days. Obviously, people tear each other apart and brings out so much hatred, but it also has brought out so many friendships for me. I've met so many terrific human beings through which we've been able to do so much together and, and saving people, helping people from this virus. And recently I saw a new doctor to me, Dr. Syed Haider, um, and it's at Dr. Syed Haider that's a uh, S-Y-E-D-H-I-A-I-D-E-R on Twitter. And you know how everyone has their little Twitter you know, bylines there, their, their one-liners? And I, I couldn't help but be caught by this. He says, 4,000 acute COVID-19 patients given FLCCC protocol, five hospitalized, zero dead, 4,000 recovered, five pharmacists, threats, one medical board complaint, one lawyer retained. And I was thinking, man, that is this show embodied in a nutshell over the course of a year. I got to get him on. So here he is with us today. Um, Dr. Syed, thanks so much for joining us today on Blaze Media. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I got to jump right into that. So could you give us a sense of your life the last year or so, um, what you've typically done, but what you've done this year in treating COVID? Obviously, one of the most fascinating things to me is when you have a new virus and everyone's like, oh my gosh, what is this? What do you do? And then you go week after week, month after month, and at some point it's no longer new, and then at some point it's actually not only not new, but it's the most studied and dealt with virus of all time in many respects, at least within such a short period of time. And you have all sorts of people that are just getting cytokine storms, they can't breathe, they go to the hospital, 
It's ne- it's not good. They can't get out of the vicious cycle. And then you meet a handful of doctors that are like, yeah, we treated thousands of patients and, um, you know, really never had anyone die. The few that went to the hospital kind of came to us late. Oh, well, maybe we ought to hear what they are doing. So, so Dr. Hyder, what exactly are you doing that's right? So, you know, very at the very beginning of all of this, um, I was working online with uh, the biggest company that is telemedicine in the U.S. They're called Teladoc. And, you know, I had heard about ivermectin. You know, I saw some research studies on it. And, you know, I, I thought, this is interesting. It's a really safe drug. You know, and th- this was at the uh, more than a year ago. And this was before anyone had really heard about it. This was before Pierre Corey went, you know, in front of the Senate and that whole thing went viral. And, um, and so I would I would tell some, you know, some people would come on the Teladoc and this was the first time that I met them. You know, it was kind of this urgent care kind of sitting where they're not you're not their PCP. They just, you know, come in because they have a cough or a cold or something. And, you know, some people would come in and say they, they had COVID-19. So I was talking to people about um, using ivermectin and I would get this blank stare um, because they had never heard of it anywhere else. And, you know, what I realized was that people need to hear something from a trusted source or a few trusted sources, um, you know, before they even accept it as something that's real. Right. Um, and uh, and so what, what happened was that I, I, I maybe one out of 100 people um, were willing to try ivermectin because it's just a strange sounding drug, right? Like if it had been Tylenol or something or, you know, um, something that people had heard of, you know, before, then they may have been more accepting of it. Um, but but it was great when Pierre Corey, you know, went in front of the Senate and that um, Senate hearing went viral. Then we saw this uptick in um, people getting interested, right? And that's when it really took off. And people, you know, they they heard about it and they they saw it on trusted media sources, you know, uh, alternative media sources. But um, and people were sharing it. You know, friends were telling other friends about it, and family members were telling family members about it. And once we got this kind of the ball rolling, right? Um, and people started trying it and using it and seeing that first of all, it worked to prevent COVID. Um, that, that was that was the first thing. Like people were really interested in trying to prevent getting COVID, and we saw tremendous success with that. I mean, I in the first six months, not a single patient caught COVID. You know, who who took it, and plenty of people who didn't take it. I mean, they they would be in situations where they you know might catch it and they wouldn't get it, and other people would get it. And uh, you know, I had doctors and nurses taking it. You know being, you know, in ICUs and, you know, exposed to COVID patients and, and no one was catching it. Um, that, that did change with Delta. So, um, you know, we had to increase the dosing when Delta came around, um, people did actually sure. start catching it. Um, even though they were taking once a week ivermectin. So, so we increased that to twice. But they were doing okay with it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's incredibly like low risk. Right. And, you know, I can tell you that, um, Physicians are really, um, you know, conservative, right? Like if if it's something they've never used, they're very hesitant to try it, right? So that's that's the first kind of hurdle that you have to get over is that, you know, the same way that the patients were really hesitant to try it because they'd never heard of it, doctors also, I mean, it's the exact same thing, the exact same psychology that we've never, you know, 
maybe we've given it like once in our career for scabies or something. Um, we don't have a lot of parasites in the US, right? So we don't really use it much. Um, and, and so really the only time I'd ever prescribed ivermectin in, in my career before COVID was for scabies. And that was like a handful of times, you know, two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so when patient, when physicians are confronted with a medication they've never heard of or or maybe never used before, or maybe haven't used very often, they'll go and look it up, just like everyone else, right? Like they go and look it up and um, in the physician desk reference or you know online, and and they'll you know go through the side effects and they'll see that you know one percent, two percent, whatever um, might get you know elevated liver function tests, and, and and that's probably the biggest red flag for most physicians is like oh my god this might cause liver failure you know, and um, and so you know elevated liver function test doesn't mean liver failure always right so you know and people don't really um dig deeper into it right so if if you do dig deeper and you start using it and start having some experience with it then you become comfortable with it because you see that like re- like for example yeah. there there was one one side effect that was mentioned as you know potentially high risk was giving it to asthma patients and I, and mm. I gave it to hundreds of asthma patients and not a single asthma exacerbation, right? And, and this is like listed yeah. as one of the possible, you know, dangers of ivermectin is that it might trigger, you know, worsening of asthma. I never saw that, right? Like, you never saw that. Yeah. And, and it's important, doctor, because, you know, look, you know, some people are ticked off. We, we partner with Seven Cells Pharmacy. Mm-hmm in uh, Florida, and they have doctors right there prescribing, and they have a policy. If they feel you have severe asthma enough to take stuff, not just the buterol, but stuff every day, they want it, they'll deny it. Um, and I told people, look, you got to understand, they're trying to get it to as many people as possible without the government breathing down their neck, and they don't feel comfortable. But I agree with you. It's from what I've seen, it really is very limited. If you're not on Coumadin and the mm-hmm. things that are totally contraindicated, I've never heard of anyone have problems with this. I've never heard of anyone even know they're on it. Right. So, I mean, I think at this point, I've probably prescribed ivermectin more than most physicians in the world, right? So, like, if there's an <laughs> expert on ivermectin, it's the physicians who've been prescribing it for COVID-19. I mean, they have the most clinical experience with ivermectin. And so, it, it's extremely rare. But but some people, you know, just like with any medication, there are some people who are super sensitive to drugs. So, I have seen one like 97 year old lady who just felt too dizzy and she didn't want to kind of push through and she was like i just don't like the way i feel on this um sure i have seen other people who did feel dizzy and, and it wasn't comfortable right a few other people it's like three or four people out of thousands um who did also feel dizzy but they kept taking it for prevention they took it once a week and after the third or fourth week all the side effects just wore off their body kind of got used to it so um you know a little bit of dizziness a little bit of nausea um one child you know i think it was a teenager threw up when they took it for acute covid and then we solved that problem just by spreading it out throughout the day you know instead of forcing them to swallow you know although acute covid they're often you know they're throwing up anyway i mean it's part of yeah yeah, that's part of true. it is just you have to it's it's hard to get down anything. But that that is interesting because, you know, a lot of these guys talk about ivermectin as if it's February 2020, like we're at the foot of the hill. So the only research we have to go off of is the prior use and, mm-hmm. you know, the operation in Africa to treat river blindness. But at some point, like it's no longer, oh, should we use it for COVID? Well, I mean, you put everyone together in America and South America and India that's used it. You're talking about hundreds of millions Mm -hmm. of doses. 
and it, it speaks for itself. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of seeing a replication of the track record for River Blindness with this as well. What other adjuncts have you been using that you feel work for you? So, yeah, this is a really important point. Um, you know, so we have medications that are really famous, like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And then we have medications that really haven't gotten a lot of airtime, but really should have so far. And, and the biggest one is fluvoxamine. So, you know, my personal experience was actually, you know, quite telling. And in the first 20, 25, I think it was the first 20 people that I treated, I, I treated them with just ivermectin. And one patient ended up in the hospital out of those 20 people. Um, and then I, you know, Steve Kirsch actually, he was going online. He was trying to reach everyone who was prescribing ivermectin and try to con trying to convince them to, you know, use fluvoxamine and give them all the data. Um, so he got in touch with me and he showed me all the data. And I was like, wow, you know, I haven't heard of this. And, you know, it looks amazing. Um, so I started using it after the first 20 people. And then in the next, I think it was the next thousand people, I didn't have a single hospitalization, right? And so wow. so for me, it was like, just like kind of shocking, right? Like it made a really, really big difference. And I could see it in people that um, who took ivermectin. And, and still a few, a few people um, would say, you know, I just don't want to take fluoxamine. I don't want to take an SSRI. You know, it's used for depression, you know. And so, sure. you know, SSRIs and antidepressants, um, you know, people just kind of look at them a little warily, like, you know, you know. That, so that's what I was going to ask you about. I want you to come clean with our audience here. And again, you're not giving personal mm -hmm. medical advice. If people want to see you, they can go to um, Dr. Saeed Haider. Um, it's again, H-A-I-D-E-R.com. Um, and you could schedule a, a telehealth uh, meeting with, with you and you know, you'll walk them through that. But, you know, just in general, generally speaking, Everyone's talking about fluvoxamine now. This, you know, it's not like we haven't had studies for a year, but you know, somehow the media is all over. It's kind of a mystery. It's like the first thing that the Patriot doctors have been prescribing that they're finally like giving positive coverage to. It's kind of bizarre. But be it as it may, whatever their motivation is, they're talking about this study that seems to show that people that did tolerate it and went through the full course, 91% reduction in mortality, um, which is that's the big headline everyone's running off of. I've I haven't talked about it a lot recently. We had Dr. Ryan Cole on. You know, originally he was pushing it a lot, but it seemed like we have 25, 30 things in our arsenal between the supplements and some prescriptions, some over the counters. And of all of them, it seemed to be the least tolerated. So people have moved away from it. But you're saying that that's the question everyone's gonna ask. Like the mechanism of action it seems to block the cytokine storm. It seems to um, do very good for the brain fog, long COVID, but damn, those side effects bother me. What would you say to people like that? Is that working for you? So, you know, in one of the studies, one of the earlier studies that was done at the racetrack, um, they, you know, the people weren't blinded, right? So like the doctor started prescribing fluvoxamine and initially people were hesitant, right? They were like, you know, I don't want to take it or I had some side effects and I don't want to keep taking it. But then they saw that everyone who had already taken it was doing much better than the people who weren't taking it, right? And then there was a huge uptake, like people started coming and asking, like, please give it to me, right? So when you talk to people, if you don't have a lot of experience with it, you can't really convince them, right? Like you're kind yeah. of hobbled by, by your lack of experience. And so patients can tell when you're kind of hesitant that like, this guy doesn't really, yeah. he doesn't really know if it's gonna help me or work for me. And he's, 
you know, I, I don't really, you know, I don't feel, you know, inspired to take it. So, so I think that was the difference with me. I saw such a clear demarcation in the outcomes from the first 20 patients and then the, pa- the next thousand patients, right? Um, I was just amazed, you know, because I, I was really kind of hit hard by that one hospitalization in the first 20. It was an elderly lady and she just didn't really, she just continued to deteriorate on ivermectin. And, you know, wow. admittedly, she did start it late, right? That, that's the biggest problem. People come in late, you know, because they didn't know about it earlier. How, how late would you say she came in? She was around like six or seven days in. So, sure. you know, if you start ivermectin on day one, you know, you're, you're probably going to be over it all by like day three. You know, it's like yeah. it's nothing's like, 100 percent. Right. But I've never people, heard yes. of anyone that I mean, even with this iteration, whatever it is and isn't. Mm-hmm. But that's clearly a beast. The last couple months, it seems like the people that really had it on hand and hit it from day one. I've really haven't seen not just forget about the cytokine storm, but even the flu like stuff. Um I've seen they barely break a fever, whereas if they get if they use ivermectin, you know, four or five days in, they, it almost always prevents the cytokine storm, which is the most important thing. But, you know, yeah, the flu, the fever seems to linger. Yeah, so the this this fever thing I've seen in the last, you know, month especially with Delta seems to, you know, people are coming to me and saying that this fever is just like, you know, I've had it for 6 days now, like what is going on, right? Um so so that is true, we are seeing more of this kind of lingering fever. Um I mean, you kind of have to tell people that this is your body fighting off, you know, this is a good thing, right? It's not necessarily a bad thing that you have a fever. Um, Your body is, you know, making the terrain, you know, friendly to COVID-19. And and so, you know, you have a fever. Um, One approach for for people who are healthy and who are kind of, uh, they're not too young and they're not too old, is to let a fever run its course as long as it doesn't get too high. Um, But, you know, the issue with fevers is that if you are elderly or very young, it's really easy for a fever to burn up all your water and for you to get dehydrated. And so, you know, people really have to push their fluid. So I've seen people who felt like they were at death's door, right? Like 65, 75 year old patients um, who were just like, you know, I, I feel like I'm dying. Right. And they would, you know, I would tell them, you know, go in, you know, let's figure out what's going on. They would go in, you know, all, all their tests look pretty fine, except they look a little dehydrated. They get a bag of fluids and they just bounce back. They're like, oh my God, I feel like I'm cured, right? So so really the dehydration can really get you. And and, yes. and it really gets, the, like I said, the youngest and the oldest patients, um, they really have to be careful to really push fluids um, really, really strongly, especially if they're having a fever. But even if they're not, just being sick is going to use up more more fluids than normal. Um, so, so staying hydrated is really important. So just getting back to what you were saying about people having side effects, you know, maybe certainly it's a greater incidence of side effects than it is with ivermectin. But if patients are convinced that it's going to make a big, big difference in, you know, first of all, preventing them from getting worse, getting hospitalized, dying. And second of all, what, what I think for most people is most important because, you know, again, it doesn't kill that many people, right? Um, and so uh, unless you're over 75, even if you're over 75, right, like maybe 5%, right, risk of death. So what, what most people, the vast majority of people are going to be confronted with is long COVID, right? So you're going to have long mm. COVID in maybe one out of two people who get COVID, um, you know, depending on how you define it, depending on the study you look at, I mean, people are estimating somewhere between 30 and 90% of patients who get COVID end up with long COVID of some kind. And, you know, it ranges from mild, moderate to extremely, really bad, right? Um, So, 
so regardless of who you are, whether you're young, old, um, I, I would say if you're if you're over like 10 years old, you know, under 10, I haven't seen any problems. I, I would only caution people. You know, people do come to me and they're like, you know, I'd like to treat my, you know, seven, eight year old. And I've treated them. And I, I think it makes sense because we don't really know what the long-term effects of COVID are going to be in anyone who gets it. Um, there, It's possible that you have, you know, this occult or hidden organ damage that you just are unaware of, right? Like you could have a seven-year-old, maybe they, 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 you know, they brush it off like nothing, but, you know, they might end up with some kind of health problem that's directly linked to that COVID infection they had as a child, maybe when they're 30 years old, maybe when they're 40 years old, maybe when they're 60 years old. We, we just don't know, right? Like this is a new, a new problem. It can trigger autoimmunity, right, down the road. Um, it can, you know, there's there's epitopes in in the in the virus that match, right? Like um, proteins that are in the human body. So if your immune system reacts to COVID, it can later on react to tissues in your own body. So that you know, a big part of this is autoimmunity. It can trigger MCAS, you know, mast cell activation syndrome, this kind of allergic disorder that some people get. Um, you know, long COVID itself can be triggered. So, so I've very rarely seen long COVID in children. I've, I've only seen it in teenagers. And again, very, very rarely, like it's not common at all. Um, sure. It's extremely rare. I haven't seen any problems under 10. Um, but still, you know, patients are like, you know, what if, right? What if mm-hmm. there's something that we don't know and that we're going to find out in five years? So why not try at least ivermectin, right? For, for, for anyone, you know, a child even. Sure. And and it, it's fine, you know, it's been used in children. Um, the only, you know, hang up I think a lot of physicians have is that the dose that we've used for, you know, decades for river blindness is like yes. one dose, right? At, at a certain, you know, body weight <laughs> dose, you take it once or, or maybe twice or maybe twice a year or something. Um, whereas for COVID, you're taking it every single day. So, um, and, and that gets back to just being comfortable. And and now at this point in the pandemic, you know, we're not at the beginning of it. Like you said, we've used this in millions of people. And so we know that it is safe, right? Now we have the data that you can take it every yes. day. You can take 0.2, you can take 0.4, you can take 0.6 milligrams per kilogram. I mean, the cancer studies we have go way up and they were mm-hmm. taking it for a number of weeks. Right, yeah. So, so there are these, you know, dosing studies and toxicity studies that have been done and and we just have clinical experience now right so so i'm not concerned anymore about toxicity of ivermectin um i will say that there was like i said i've seen thousands of patients right like more, more than the 4000 that i mentioned on twitter wow um, and and i've talked to other people who have seen like 20,000 patients right like just huge numbers in india um and uh you know per doctor and so so again you know i, I have a lot of experience prescribing it and seeing what happens when people get it. And so just, just one out of literally thousands and thousands of patients um, came to me and said that I have, the, again, it was like dizziness and they had been taking it for prevention for a few months and, and the dizziness didn't go away. Um, and uh, and then maybe I'm misremembering, maybe dizziness started after a few months, but anyway, they, they stopped taking the the prescription and it, and it's, it didn't wear off for a few weeks. Right. So for, Again, 99.999% of the time, if you have a side effect that is really kind of bothersome with ivermectin, um, and again, it's extremely rare, but if you do almost all the time, it, it wears off in days, yeah. right? Um, sometimes within hours, it wears off. Um, and this is the thing with over-the-counter. I mean, we have plenty of things over-the-counter that we don't think twice about, mm-hmm. yeah. hence why the FDA pretty much on every drug alive yeah. says 
risk of dizziness, nausea, right. GI yeah. issues. <laughs> there's almost nothing that it, it doesn't because, <clears throat> frankly, there's almost nothing that, you know, I know, like, my wife, if she takes Sudafed, she's like, she, I'm, I'm like, it, it, it kills her. Right. It just, yeah, yeah. She goes crazy from it. You know, so you have things like that, and you got to weigh it. And I think what I guess what we're trying to convey here is that the more serious this thing grows, the more you're saying it's just the the cost benefit analysis is to try to get ahead of it for more people. Initially, I only pushed it for people at risk, but now I'm saying really all adults should try to get it treated. Are you saying that you're seeing that generally those that hit it hard and hit it quick? Not only do they re- just recover without much issue, but that they're likely less likely to get long COVID. Absolutely, yeah. This is the biggest thing that you know. Most people, you know, if you're between so long COVID, I'm seeing most in people who are 30 to 55. That and and people who are the most active. So people who start off their baseline is really healthy and and really active. A lot of them come to me with long COVID, and and you know this is just what I'm seeing. You know I don't know if this is the reality of the situation, if they're just more prone to you know taking care of their health and figuring out what's wrong and getting back on the horse or whatever, but um, or getting back on the wagon. But um, that that's who I see, right? Like I see people who are really healthy and go 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 all the time, and and they're getting it. And and yes, if people take this this these treatment protocols and they start in the first few days, they don't get long COVID. And that's what I saw in the first you know three four thousand patients that people who did this. They were, especially who took fluvoxamine, they were not getting long COVID. And we saw that in in the follow-up of one of the earlier studies, the one that was done at the racetrack. Um, He followed up his patients for like three months and I I don't think anyone had long COVID in that study. I mean, it it was like zero. you know, that's what was reported to him. And then I saw that also myself um, in people who took the protocol. It was extremely rare to get long COVID. Um, This has changed a bit with Delta. So with Delta, there's an increased risk of getting it even when you treat it early. Well, even when you treat it, I'll say. Um, Treating it early still protects you. So that's really the problem is that people come in too late. Right. So people Mm. people get sick and then they're like, you know, maybe it's just a cold. Maybe I have, you know, uh, an allergy or something. And and then they wait a couple of days and then they get tested and then it takes a day or two to find out. And then it's like day three or four or five. And then they start looking for a doctor. Right. They're like, oh, my God, Mm. I want to treat this. And then, you know, and then you have the problem with the pharmacy, right? Like, how do I get the ivermectin into my hand, right? Yep. Like, you, you can't go down to, like, CVS anymore because they just refuse it, you know, most of the time. And, and all the while, the pulmonary phase is lurking in the yes, background. Yeah, yeah. Um, so things are getting worse. You know, the, the snowball is, like, getting bigger. And and things are deteriorating. And, and so that's that's the biggest problem that people just – they need to have it beforehand. So now, you know, my goal is to get this – into the cupboards of you know America, um, you need to have it in your medicine cabinet, right? And you need to have a printout, you know, with all the directions, and you need to know what to do. You don't, you shouldn't, you know. A lot of people get in touch with me on Twitter, and they're like, "Hey, I'll I'll drop you a line if I get sick, right?" And and ask you what to do. No, right? That's not what you should be doing at all. You should be asking all the questions right now, right? You should feel hundred percent yep. comfortable with treating it, and that's really with so few doctors who are doing this right now. The only way that we can affect effectively treat all the people who need treatment is to basically create a standard protocol that we give to everyone. Right. And, and it's so, even though we all know that the best thing is to have an individualized physician, look at the individualized guy, we all agree. So, so for our audience to be clear, uh, Dr. Heider is not trying to say like, this is the ideal for medicine, but this is the best we can do when the government, big pharma medical establishment have an embargo 
on outpatient treatment right. than any other handful of doctors. Like, yeah, I can't get everyone the VIP treatment. One of the 25, 30 doctors we've had on the show, you know, every thousands of people that they'll walk them through it, they'll look at their symptoms. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing. But at least to have the broadest things available that we know are available. So, you know, that's the ivermectin. Fluvox obviously is a little bit more potent in terms of, you know, being SSRI and and, and side effects. Um, and, and you prescribe that for people that come to you. And, you know, again, the data is very good on that. And you're saying just clinically it's really worked together with ivermectin. Is there anything else that um, – you know, you feel yeah. it's worked well for yeah. you in so, the last so, couple of months. So I think the most important medication, um, maybe as important as fluvoxamine or more important, especially later on, you know, kind of the salvage therapy that's going to like save your life when you didn't get ready, when you weren't a Boy Scout, when you didn't prepare, right? Yeah. Um, is going to be ciproheptadine. And Dr. Farid Jalali, you know, he's on Twitter and he's mm. he's really done a lot of research on this. And, you know, it gets into the whole serotonin metabolism. And the problem is that, um, you know, early on, if you take the fluvoxamine, It'll stabilize your platelets. It'll prevent them from, you know, dumping serotonin into the bloodstream, which causes a lot of inflammation in the blood vessel walls and triggers, you know, all this pneumonitis or inflammation in the lungs and, you know, gets the cytokine storm going. Um, If you've already missed that boat, if you've already gotten the platelets, you know, the platelets have already released all their serotonin and you have like tremendous quantities of serotonin in your bloodstream and it's extremely pro-inflammatory, if you're at that point, right, at that point, fluvoxamine may not help as much, right? Like you've already missed yeah. the boat on it. Like I, I still prescribe it, but, you know, you're not going to have as much benefit. You're not going to prevent that from happening. And at that point, ciproheptadine, what it does is it blocks serotonin receptors. So it's like it's like an antidote for that stage of the disease, mm. right? And this is the later on stage. And this is when, you know, your oxygen levels start dropping, you're coughing terribly, you know, you're short of breath maybe. And, and this is that second week, right? Like day eight problem. Um, this is the second phase, the, the really inflammatory phase. This this medication has a really fast, you know, onset of action. Um, so it can, you know, the, the biggest issue with it is it can cause some drowsiness, right? So a lot of people in that phase are pretty sleepy already right so yeah um, that, that's the last thing you're worried about yeah so so I, you know a, a lot of you know people will call will like get in touch with me they, they take it and they're or they give you know their family member takes it and they're like they're sleeping like 20 hours a day i'm like good okay <laughs> they need it they need to sleep yeah as long th- as that ship breathing. has sailed yeah. we're trying to save your life it's not like the guys i speak to while they have covid i've had lawyers that you know are helping out with all our cases they have covid but they've gotten their d levels up they were taking the protocols even ahead of time with the vitamins and supplements they got on ivermectin from day one and they never had a problem but if you're you got into that phase already yeah you're gonna want to sleep um, so, so yeah, it's funny, Dr. Richard Urso swears by ciproheptadine and it's an antihistamine. So I wonder, and I know it's a little different mechanism of action, but famotidine is, um, is a little different type of antihistamine. Is that, do you find that working for you at all? Yeah, I, I actually, that's part of the protocol. You know, it's an over-the-counter medication, so I don't have to prescribe it. But yeah, you know, I tell people to take aspirin. I tell people to take um, famotidine. I tell people to take, you know, Claritin as well, or Zyrtec, you know, one of the other antihistamines. So there's H1 and H2 mm. antihistamines. Um, Ciproheptadine is, um, is also very effective, you know, 
in Africa, Dr. Chetty, I think his name is, um, he, he uses yeah. promethazine, um, which, which is also, also has antihistamine effects and is also very helpful for COVID. And, and the nice thing about promethazine is that it helps with nausea. So if, if you have, you know, nausea from fluvoxamine or COVID or ivermectin or anything, um, it can help to be on the promethazine. So, so sometimes, you know, you're getting, um, a lot of medications that are doing similar things. So you may have to, you know, if you're having, you know, severe nausea and, um, you know, maybe you stop taking the famotidine and the Claritin and Zyrtec and you just take promethazine. Um, but, but that is, you know, it's a prescription medication. So you'd have to get a prescription for it, but any, any antihistamine may help with nausea. So like even over the counter Benadryl might help you with nausea, you know, it's going to make you drowsy, but but yes, antihistamines have a have a huge role to play. And so people can really do, you know, they can get maybe, you know, 75, 80% of the way there with over-the-counter medications if they have the right protocol. Yes. And and especially, you know, you know, the, the biggest thing you need to do and and people, you know, they know this and they may not be doing it, but um, you know, supplementing with vitamin D is, is one thing, but it's more important to to know what your vitamin D level is, because I, I see pay, a lot of people have this like genetic inability to absorb vitamin D or or something, yes. right? Like they're just not able. Like they need tremendous amounts. Like some people need twenty thousand a day, right? Um, just incredibly yep. high amounts to get up to a normal level. So so if you're just you know sitting back taking five thousand IU a day for the last you know three months, maybe you're fine. Maybe you're too high, right? You might even be too high. Um, so so one great. By, by, by the way, could you define that? Hey, I'm sorry interrupt there but that's important could you define roughly what too high would look like what number that is so, so that's important right like you were saying with personalized medicine you know you can give people numbers right like saying Got okay it. 30 to 100 right for example right that's a really broad <laughs> range um you know certainly if you're over 100 you're it's probably too much right um but yes. but it's better to to come up with some kind of method where you can personalize it. So the, so the best method I've seen, um, Chris Cresser, he's a he's a physician out in California. So he, he what he recommends is, and I go by this also is is you check your vitamin D three level, you check your calcium level, and you check your parathyroid hormone level. So these mm. these um, three things are all interrelated, right? So they. Um, if you push down on one, the other one goes up. And so what you want is your parathyroid hormone to be less than 30. So it needs to be suppressed, you know, below 30. You want a normal calcium level and you want a normal range of vitamin D. So so usually people are going to need to be above 30. I mean, really above 30 is probably um, kind of the minimum that everyone in the world needs. Yes. Um, but, but there are people, you know, there are cultures, there are races, right? Like black people probably don't need as much vitamin D, surprisingly, as European people. Um, so... So depending on your racial background and your genetic background, you might need a much higher level. You might need 70 to be healthy and to be to have a normal parathyroid hormone, you know, parathyroid functioning mm. and to have normal calcium levels in your body. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously K2 is a really important part of vitamin D metabolism. You want to make sure the calcium goes into your bones instead of into your arteries, you know, instead of causing hardening of the arteries. You want the K2, you know, it's another vitamin that helps, you know, direct the calcium yes. where it needs to go. Um, so um, so as long as... as so as long as you check your D level in your, and you check your calcium level at the same time and you check your parathyroid hormone level, and again, basically what you're aiming for is say your vitamin D is, is 30 
and and say your calcium is normal, but your parathyroid hormone is like 35, right? It's above 30. That means you don't have enough vitamin D in your body and you need to increase it. And that'll push your parathyroid hormone down into the, you know, under 30 range. Um, there's a great blog article about this. You know, I can send people if they get in touch with me, but um, th that's the main thing. You know, everyone should get their vitamin D level optimized for their own body. Um, if you can't, you know, fine, at least take, you know, three, four or 5,000 IU a day. And, and if you get sick and with the K2, as you're saying, yeah, probably absolutely. with some K2, yeah, a hundred micrograms of K2. Yeah. Um, MK4, MK7, you know, there's different forms of K2. You can get a combination pill that has MK4 and MK7, um, at least and and take that 100 micro at least 100 micrograms a day one 100 to 200 micrograms a day of k2 um you know that that's a good level for most people most you know we just don't get a lot of it in our diet right so k2 deficiency is probably a bigger problem than vitamin even even than vitamin d deficiency wow. which is already a huge problem for the population especially you know um you know i've worked in places in black communities where Everyone in the hospital had a low vitamin D level, so so I was the only person who would check vitamin D on everyone who got hospitalized. Um, so so I think it's it's just a marker of you know it's going to lead to poor immune function and it's going to it's probably related to other illnesses as well. It might be related to autoimmunity even. Um, so so it's a huge problem, especially in the black community. Um, the vitamin D levels are incredibly low, like sometimes they're undetectable. You know. You, you know you're really ticking me off as you're as you're talking. It's mm -hmm. making me so upset because I'm thinking back to the beginning of this yeah. when you had all these headlines from CDC. Blacks are four and a half times more likely mm -hmm. to be hospitalized, and I'm like, how do you put that out and don't even mention a word about the about vitamin D? Yeah, this. Was, how do you not this mention was, that? I mean, absolutely. I don't think you can. You ask anyone, right? Who knows any? Who's looked at any of the data on vitamin D? This is just criminal, right? Like it. It. It's like, I mean, you can't even express how infuriating it is that the government, that Fauci didn't go on national television and tell everyone in the country, in the world, right? Like you should have been screaming this from the rooftops, take vitamin D or it, at the very least, go and ask your doctor to check your vitamin D, right? And, it, and every yes. doctor should have been told, you know, top down ordered by, you know, the authorities who seem to be in charge of everything get all your patients to get their vitamin D levels checked, right? And especially in nursing homes. I mean, you can just, you can order it and get it done. I mean, you have a captive, you know, pop, you have captive patient population. They're not going anywhere. You can do it at their bedside, right? You just go into their room, draw their blood. You get the vitamin D level that afternoon. Get, get it. And, right? and frankly, for those people, you're, you're likely going to need one of the active forms of D, which government should make available, whether it's calcitriol or calcitriol, whatever the different, uh, forms of active D because if your levels are zero, which some of them probably are, then it's going to take a while to get it up. Yeah. So I, I have seen data that, um, that shows that if you take a mega dose of D3, which is available over the counter, you are going to have some benefit, but absolutely. I mean, if you're, if you're very low and you're very high risk or, or if you're actually sick, the best is to get prescription calcitriol, right? You can actually get calcitriol. Mm. It's used usually in patients with renal failure, but, but it is used in the U.S. And again, it's one of those things that like a lot, you tell physicians about this and they're not going to be comfortable because they've only prescribed it for renal failure patients in the past. But yes, um, it is something that is helpful. And, and especially if you're going into COVID and, and you don't know what your D level is, you haven't been taking it for months. Um, you can take calcitriol and, and know that you're going to have the effect of 
vitamin D immediately, right? It's going to happen right away instead of having to be, um, uh, you know, activated. Um, but but say you don't have access to it, you know, you can't get it. Um, take a hundred thousand international units of D three, and even if you have a normal D level, it's also a hundred thousand. You're saying if you have the virus, if yeah, if you get sick, if you start getting sick, you can take a mega dose once, and then you can start taking, um, you know, ten, fifteen thousand a day after that while you're while you remain sick. Um, but you can take one mega dose at the very beginning and um, fifty, a hundred thousand. I mean, some people say fifty thousand, some people say hundred thousand. It's it's really got like a like it's not toxic right at these it really high doses even you know people yeah. who are vitamin d deficient um this is one of the ways that we treat it and when we when we doubt that they're going to take their their meds um it is a, a generally accepted dose to take a one mega dose and spread it out right like a hundred thousand once a month for example or a hundred thousand a week um so it's it's not like it sounds crazy right because the number is so big <laughs> but um it, it is it, it is safe to take it like that and i've been told especially when you tether it with some k2 and magnesium okay. so you would balance out some of the yeah. you know maybe some of the rare effects you'd expect the calcium buildup or whatever yeah. k2 brings it right back to the bones where it should mm -hmm. be k2 is good like 50 million other things mm -hmm. too it's like that's like the new rising star that's not being talked mm -hmm. about enough in the yeah. established medical mm -hmm. uh, system so this is just it really i think you're really painting a very nice optimistic picture for a lot of people that are very concerned about this they know where to turn um I just want to end off, and, and wow, this time has flown by so quickly, and I really appreciate you giving us extra time today. Sure. Um, just the final thing is, um, look, it, it's no secret anymore that there are a lot of adverse events from these shots. Um, some people don't get them, but a heck of a lot of people do. Have you treated vaccine injuries? Um, and I don't mean like real deadly ones, but I'm talking about – more the brain fog, the melees, the, um, you know, kind of the almost looks like a, a roving cytokine storm, but a, but a baby one, like a, mm -hmm. just a, almost like long COVID itself, mm -hmm. um, almost looks like the pathogen. Have you treated that and, and do you have a protocol for it? Yeah. So, um, I have, and I've seen people with, you know, they're, they're kind of like, um, they're very similar to long COVID you know, presentations, people who have a lot of the people who have the vaccine injuries. Um, but oftentimes it seems more focused on, on one area of their body as opposed to long COVID that can be um, kind of like really, you know, a million different symptoms sometimes, um, at least in my experience. So one of the patients, for example, came in and he had like horrible ringing in his ears and he was just like, being driven crazy by it you know he was afraid he was gonna like you know he had heard about somebody who killed themselves right um down in texas because of ringing in the ears from the vaccine and he was really worried i mean it was like he was sweating talking to me right like this guy was uh uh and it was just horrible horrible right he couldn't sleep he couldn't work he couldn't think straight right um and 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 it, you know we start treating them with ivermectin and probably fluvoxamine, and w within like a week or two it was down like eighty percent, right? Like the the severity of it. And he was like, you know, it's still there um, after a couple after just a couple of weeks. But I can function, I can work, you know, I'm not going crazy, I can sleep. Um, so we we do see you know tremendous um, benefits with uh, and, and it depends you know it's this it's a similar treatment as it is for long covid and it's kind of hit or miss right like so some people you'll give them ivermectin and it's like three days later they're completely cured it's amazing 
and in other people it doesn't seem to do much for them um but that's usually where i start because it's the safest and the best tolerated and then usually the next step is fluvoxamine especially for neurological symptoms like ringing in the ears brain fog um uh you know things like that um fluvoxamine seems to work really well um loss of taste or smell sometimes people you know are really annoyed by that um i haven't seen that so much with the vaccines but with long covid so uh fluvoxamine and then low dose steroids like prednisone sometimes help um so there's you know it's like a step-by-step process to figure out which medication might help and then um you know i'm gonna plug them i always plug them you know incel dx dr um, patterson's group they're the only ones who are really approaching this in you know a super scientific way they they've developed a blood test that basically diagnoses long covid and there's a lot of overlap with long covid and vaccine injuries so they're also treating sure. vaccine injury people um, so they they have a Where bunch, could people go? So they go to covidlonghaulers.com c o v i d long l o ng haulers h a u l e r s dot com you can register there for a blood test um you're supposed to i think you're supposed to give them the name of a doctor who's willing to treat you because they don't treat you themselves they do have doctors that'll interpret right. interpret the test for you um and uh and then you, you need a, a doctor who's willing to prescribe so um I, I have worked with them and i've prescribed for some patients but they have a list of doctors that they can refer you to you know whichever state you're in and i think they're actually you know a lot of people get in touch with you from the uk and from canada and they have found people in the uk to to work with them now um and and in some european countries they're actually available and they may be available in canada i'm not sure but you know they've they they used machine learning and they um they took a panel of um you know inflammatory markers and cytokines and 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 they figured out that if you have a certain pattern of elevation of certain cytokines it predicts that you know you were exposed to covid-19 and that your symptoms are due to long covid um and and you can predict which medications are likely to help so the big one that uh, applies specifically to long covid and vaccine injuries that we don't use really in acute covid is mravirock and it's an hiv drug um and so, and and that's really probably the big the, the heavy hitter you know that can really take care of most vaccine and long hauler um symptoms is mravirock and and it, you know you, um maybe 5 to 10% of people are better within you know a few weeks with these protocols um the majority like 70 80% of people with long haul covid or with vaccine injuries it's going to take two to you know one two to three months to wow. to really get you know back to normal so so it's you know you have to you have to be patient with it and you have to temper people's expectations and um you know, if the symptoms are bad enough, um, people are willing to do almost anything. Um, so, you know, there, there's there's a number of different approaches. You know, it's it's diet. There's you know, you know, usually we say exercise. With long haul, you have to avoid exercise. That's the weird thing. Um, exercise makes it worse in 99% of people. I mean, I've I've seen one person out of probably a thousand who said exercise didn't make their symptoms worse. So. Generally speaking, it just spawns. It, it aggravates inflammation. It aggravates, yeah. It aggravates inflammation. So it's something that we have seen for for years with chronic fatigue syndrome and what what you know the other term for it is myalgic encephalitis. It seems that there there's something that's been there's something about the biochemistry in in these people's bodies that exercise instead of being a beneficial thing, it's it's a harmful thing. And yes, it, it triggers like a cascade of inflammation and it's just it just doesn't help, right? So a lot of these patients you have to like really 
pound it home to them that don't exercise, right? I know you're like addicted to this good thing, you know, and you've been addicted to it for years and, you know, it was a good addiction for you, but now it's really harmful and it's preventing you from getting better. Um, and people who do it, you know, they, they very quickly learn that they just can't exercise anymore. So, so it, it doesn't really take a lot. They, like they can see it themselves that, you know, they exercise and, and they may not feel bad that day. They sometimes actually feel better that day, but then like they'll have this hangover from exercise for like days or sometimes weeks. Right. And, and in the worst cases, it's like, really severe, you know, resurgence of side or, you know, symptoms and side effects that just get much, much worse. Um, I just wanted to mention, you know, other than medications, you know, some people, especially in the beginning, you want to try something at home, right? You just want to try something. So fasting seems to help. Um, Tom Bunker, he's on, you can find him on Twitter. He has a fasting protocol for long COVID. Um, all, oh. all the vitamins that we recommend for like prevention and treatment are also beneficial for long COVID. Um, and, and for the vaccine injuries as well. And, and also antihistamines sometimes seem to help, you know, some, uh, there's a huge subset of patients with long COVID and vaccine injuries that have what we call MCAS or mast cell activation syndrome and antihistamines uh, seem to be helpful. And the other thing, you know, along those lines is a low histamine diet. So, so, you know, people who have allergies and mast cell dysfunction and problems with long COVID and vaccine injuries, if you limit the amount of histamine that you're eating, that you're putting into your stomach, um, you can oftentimes help tremendously with the symptoms. So, so what, what would that look like just, you know, as a, as a diet? Yeah, so there's there's random, you know, you have to just Google low histamine diet, but there are things like uh, strawberries are really high in histamine and then um, preserved meats or, or any like leftovers. So it's, so you can eat meat, and um, but you have to eat it fresh. You have to cook it fresh and eat it right away. The longer you leave it in the fridge, the more histamine builds up in it. Um, wow. and, and any kind of canned meats and stuff you want to stay away from, um, canned fish and stuff like that you want to stay away from. So fresh, um, you know, vegetables and, and you have to, you know, I, I don't have them off the top of my head, but you know, there's just certain vegetables or fruits that are really high in histamine that you have to learn to avoid initially. Um, the only one I ever remember is strawberries. <laughs> just they're the one thing that sticks in my mind. That, that, that's, that's amazing. You know, I'm just, just to sum it up and, and you've given us uh, extra time today. This has really been enlightening. Just to sum it up, I, I look at someone like you, and you have limited resources, you're one person, and you've been able to research this much, help this many people, the virus, the long COVID, which a lot of it is driven by a lack of ability to get early treatment, and then the vaccine injuries, which is obviously driven by you know doing them in the first place, and you put it all together, and it's like, it doesn't have to be this way. I mean, if you had every primary care physician sounding like you it would be a different ball game it, it just and, and you can understand okay march april may 20, okay we didn't know what was going on but by now it, it is it's it's abhorrent what is going on how someone like me who doesn't have a medical background from adam could at least un grasp and understand some of this and what to do and what helps and these guys that have been practicing medicine often for decades just look at you like Wear a mask and get the shot. Well, what if I wore a mask, got the shot, got injured from the shot, got COVID, got COVID bad? Well, what are you going to do for me? Well, I got nothing for you, huh? Like, you know, because my feeling is as good as your protocols are, if we had a modicum of research that would go into all this geared towards helping people rather than controlling people, we would have stuff that would be much better even than what you guys are proposing. I'll give you the last word. So, folks, again, that was my pre-taped interview with Dr. Syed Haider. Uh, you could find 
his information at Dr. Syed Haider. That's H-A-I-D-E-R.com. Um, he does have telehealth there. So if you want to deal with a doctor that actually was successful, uh, he's, he's got to go to. But otherwise, you know, if you just want medication in your house, as I said, 7cells.com. Uh, by the way, they do have nitazoxanide is up. You can make the order for that as well as ivermectin. Remember, if you feel that you think it's safe based on your research, only disclose on the form there the type of medications and conditions that you feel you want to disclose. Um, I don't know yet if they are going to give nitazoxide for pregnant women. Um, that is going to be up to them. But I will tell you, I Dr. Flavio Coggiani uh, from Brazil, who has done all the surveys on this and all the studies on this, that is standard of care uh, for those that are treating COVID down there in Brazil, actually doing it properly. They use it for kids, breastfeeding women, um, as well as pregnant women. It is a very safe drug, very strong antiviral, broad mechanism of action. So both of those are now available for you. Again, I wish it could be cheaper. I wish it could. Um, it is cheaper out of the country, but it's takes a long time to get there. You have to find one that's not a scam. You have to know if it's pure. Make your own choices, but I wanted something in America guaranteed that's available for you where you can get the prescription, you can get it uh, filled, uh, and let's let's get this behind us. Let's get our people safe because we can't fight if we, if we die from their bioweapon that they're increasingly making stronger every day. Again, really excited to meet all of you this week here at Front Sight, Nevada. And uh, we'll be back, yeah, I think Thursday, I'll be back for uh, our regular schedule. So I'll be a little bit uh, irregular in posting times. Wednesday, I'm going to be out completely because it's my flyout day. Uh, but there's a lot going on. Again, state legislatures, a lot of legal action. You, you need to make sure you are in the ears of your state legislators. That is all I could say. Uh, there, it's not perfect, but it's the best organ of government we have to influence, at least in the red states. If we have a better solution, I'd love to hear it. You can email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Thank you for listening.